Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Coding the Future. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, and I'm honored that you have joined us again for another week. This week, we are going to dive in and talk with an expert in the field around business, tech, growing your business, and understanding how do we navigate and continue growing even in this new norm, which I'm going to put quotation marks around because I think we can say new norm, but I, I think it's just another iteration of how we're going to be interacting with one another moving forward and how that power of tech and understanding business can really drive what we're going to do. We have the privilege of talking today with Juan Riboldi, who is an international business advisor and principal and president of As of Ascent Advisor, a management consulting firm. He is the author of the upcoming book, Strategic Transformation, How to Deliver What Matters Most. And for over 20 years, Riboldi has been advising leaders at the highest levels of business, education, and government on strategy, organization, and execution. His clients include Fortune 500 corporate, Fortune 50 corporations, as well as fast-growing growing private enterprises. And he has successfully launched and led three consulting firms and completed postgraduate studies at Harvest Business, Harvard Business School and Wharton School of Business. Holy moly, listen, my, my mouth is all like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so many amazing things that you've done, Juan. I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining here, Dr. Sharon Jones. It's a pleasure. Well, so tell us a little bit about your story. That's a pretty impressive bio that I just read. And I know that that didn't happen overnight. Of course, we know that. But tell us a little bit about your story. Where, tell us about Juan. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, I basically have the story of the American dream. I came to the United States as an immigrant at age 21. I uh, was born and raised in Argentina. I was studying mechanical engineering as a university student, and a friend of mine suggested that I try to go to the United States to get a better education and was able to uh, get a loan from friends and family and applied for a scholarship. And uh, with all that, I came to the United States at age 21 with nothing but a student loan and a bag of clothes. Uh, it was very, very rough for the first two years. There were several times that my money had completely ran out and I had no money to either eat or pay rent or pay tuition. So I ended up having to work on campus two jobs because as an international student, you can't work outside of campus. So it was kind of a very rough start uh, in the world. Uh, a big break for me was um, as I was completing an MBA course, I did an internship with IBM in New York City in their headquarters. And that's where I was first exposed to the world of consulting at a very high level. Uh, this was an internal consulting department that advised leaders internally as part of a major transformation. Back in 1992, something around that time, IBM was pivoting from being a computer company to being a consulting company. And I was part of 
advising senior executives around this transformation. And that inspired me to bring about change for people and organizations around the world. I grew up in Argentina during a period of military dictatorship and saw how the country moved into a democracy. And in many cases, you had to actually go to the streets and, and claim the rights to vote at the peril of your life. So I was very inspired from this childhood experience of seeing social change and seeing IBM make a peaceful pivot in a, ma in a major way. And so this has become basically the theme of my life to help people and organizations change. Uh, after five years of working with IBM, I went on to join a boutique consulting firm and then I started consulting firms. And as I mentioned, I've been involved in three startups and the current firm that I have, I started in 2010. So no one to make the story too long, but the essence. Oh, it's really interesting. Like <laughs> I am, I'm just so intrigued. I mean, that growing up in an era when you are transitioning from dictatorship to democracy, I mean, that I'm a little bit at a loss for words because I can't even do a visual of what that would feel like. So it, it felt like an increasing amount of government regulations and restrictions leading up to abuses of power, leading up to um, people trying to conform to that and finally starting to say, no, this is not right and we need to have change. But the process, it took seven years wow. to bring about change. And then towards the very dramatic ending, we had... Uh, a lot of protest, a lot of, um, I mean, at one point, I, I don't like to usually uh, uh, disclose too much about that, but at one point I was even thrown in jail <laughs> for a few days for uh, something that was not a crime, but it was part of this, uh, this whole repression movement. Wow. So, you know, I, I definitely develop a strong desire to see this social change for justice, for equality, for for improvement in people's lives. And when I came to America and I saw the opportunity and how the system works, I thought this is something worthwhile doing. I, I could really commit my, my life and my work to doing this. And that's the focus of my uh, recent book, Strategic Transformation. I look at the last 10 years of my practice and how people in government and education and in private enterprise have led massive transformations that have resulted in increasing wealth and prosperity as well as new services, new new products and an improvement of the quality of life for a lot of people. So I believe that that is still possible in, in the world today. Yeah, you know, I was thinking too, your journey began at IBM and after you left, I, how long were you with IBM before you launched, so you went to IBM and did some consulting what made you know that you were ready to be a part of a startup of a consulting business? What, what flipped in your brain to say, yeah, it's time for me to, to do that? So um, when I was doing this internship in New York City, I was working in their uh, world headquarters in Armonk, New York. And the job was very um, high impact, very interesting. But I was almost drowning in, in terms of, trying to keep up with everything. So one weekend, um, my wife suggested, why don't you just take the weekend off and do some 
kind of like visioning, long-term planning, where do you want to go with your life? Because while I love what I was doing, the pressure of the corporate life and being new to it and all that, it was almost overwhelming. These were the 10 to 12 hour days. By now I've mastered that routine, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Owning your own business, 10 to 12 hours feels like nothing these days. Yeah, it's like the regular day. It's like this was a light, light day. So, um, but at that time, you know, it was a big adjustment for me. And I, I took the weekend off literally to go and meditate and plan the future. And I came back with the idea that I wanted to be doing exactly what I was doing at IBM, but not necessarily internally as part of a big corporation. I, I saw myself as part of a small team, uh, influencing change for different groups of people across the world, literally, and living in a place where I have a little bit more of a, a comfortable lifestyle. And, and that really generated the vision, even I set a date when I would start my first business. That was 10 years in the future, actually. So, so it was a long journey to get there, but I committed to the date. I wrote it down. I think that at that time, it was 1997 was the date that January 1st, 1997. And, and then I reverse engineer what it would take to launch the business at that point. Um, I love that because we talk a lot about that on the show, about setting goals and understanding how to reach them. And I am a firm believer that if you say it out loud and you write it down, that it can come true. I mean, if you put yourself in the space to make that work, I absolutely love what you just said, that you wrote it down. And it did take some time to get to opening your own business but you knew that was your end goal. And so then you worked backwards in the steps to figure out, well, what am I gonna do to get to that end? Correct. Correct. I think and that's it was, uh, yeah. wonderful advice. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be 10 years into the future. I mean, it really could be two years or it could be one year, but the, the point is, um, at first, uh, even when I left IBM, I tried to use the same skills I have learned in the corporate world and get one client and offer the same services. And I was able to get one client and and deliver first services. But after that project, I didn't know how to go for the next. So I I quickly realized I needed a job. So I I thought there's a lot of skills and and tools and infrastructure that I need to launch successfully. So the, the plan was really the architecture to figure out how to be prepared for a successful launch. And that included taking a, a, a job at a startup consulting firm to learn a lot of different roles. And that was my, my intent. And I was very open about it that uh, at the certain date I would leave, but until then I wanted to take a number of different positions. So I, I knew how to do this. And I think that's really important because I've actually had a few guests on the show that have talked quite a bit about, you know, not knowing everything, they have an idea for where they want to go. But Mm -hmm. part of the journey is learning different roles and taking on different tasks that may not at first seem super glamorous or or whatnot, but learning those in order to get to the end goal, you know that there's a path to the end. So go, I think that's very um, forthcoming of you and, and, and thought provoking when you said to yourself, I've got my first customer, but now I don't know how to do how to get the second. 
Because many times as entrepreneurs, and I, and I even say this as my own, my first customer came super organically. Like it happened, it was very natural. And then I'm like, oh, well, in order to make this a business, we've got to, we've got to add on to that. And how do we do that, right? There's a, yeah. because if you've come from, my background is in education. So I'd been in the classroom teaching. So it, I did not have a, a big skill set in figuring out how to bring more customers in or sell myself or, or, or whatnot. So I think that's really um, a point that we need to, to think about is that what, what Juan is saying is I knew where I wanted to go. I knew that I had one customer, but I didn't know how to grow it. So I took a step back and went and learned from others so that I could grow myself. Yep. Now, I have four kids now, and they're all entrepreneurs, and they're in their 20s. Wow. And they don't have uh, 10 years to start their businesses. <laughs> so they actively listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos, and get professional advice. And many times they even come to me and say, you know, who would know accounting? Or who would know, you know about this? And the interesting thing is that I find them very resourceful, like using even free advice and free uh, educational content or even tapping into some paid professionals that give them some advice. And I have seen uh, my own kids very successfully started businesses in the middle of this environment that is so crazy and, and do it in fairly quickly, you know, short term. Well, you know, you think about it. I mean, 10 years ago, well, in 1997, we were in a very different position in terms of technology, right? I mean, yeah. there was not the vast access that we have now, which is part of what we talk about too on the show is the importance of us being, of being able to understand and continue to learn all the new tech that's coming at us, and which is going to lead me to my next question in a second. But but you're absolutely spot on in terms of thinking about how you move to your end goal. For us in 1997 was very different and how you moved through to get to your open, to starting your business 10 years later, the access to podcasts, the access to YouTube videos. I mean, those are amazing resources and a really great byproduct of the innovation around tech and the accessibility that it's given us. And I think sometimes we don't even realize that that's what we do. I mean, I listen to podcasts on a regular basis. I listen to radio shows. I listen to, I mean, YouTube is my friend, right? Mm -hmm. If you're, what do you do? You Google it or YouTube it to figure out kind of what to do. Yeah, exactly. I think it's amazing. Exactly. So let me ask you this question. As you have, if you, if you think about your journey over the past, you know, 10, 20 years as you've been cultivating your business, is there some a piece of technology or software that has been really pivotal and a steadfast in your work? Yes, technology always played a very critical differentiator role for every business that I launched. The interesting thing is always been the technology that at that point in time is just breaking new. So uh, just to give you a very simple example of this, uh, when I did launch my first business, DecisionWise, in, which is still a business going on these days, uh, in 1997, the internet was very, very new. And I took some skills that I had learned at IBM of processing survey data and producing reports in a very manual Excel-driven process 
and I learned, I self-taught myself how to use the internet to do surveys online. And that became, it was like exploding. So you were, you were at the tip of a rocket ship. I mean, like you, you couldn't help but grow and do well because you were at the forefront of something that was just happening. So the fact that we were doing surveys online at the time was, you know, innovative. A lot of people wanted it. It was even mm -hmm. controversial. Some people were questioning it. But bottom line, it was a huge differentiator that someone like me starting a business pretty quickly made it into a success. And with the other businesses that I started has been the exact same way. Uh, for example, right now, as I um, came up with this book, I am leveraging podcasts and social media and all, and all that because to me that is where the, the current front line of technology is. And I am co constantly looking about what is coming next because I want to be there. I want to have whatever I do in those type of platforms. And that is what pushes you to the forefront. I love that you said that. And I totally agree with you. And you think about how your technological process has shifted. You mentioned about Excel. And I still believe Excel is one of the best products that's ever been put out. I mean, Microsoft did a magnificent job in figuring that piece out and also has done a good job of continuing to innovate with that piece of technology. It's still, I think, 95% of businesses use Excel. So it is a yeah. piece of software that has stood the test of time, I think, in terms of how fast we have innovated over the past, you know, 10 years. I, I I'm smiling a lot when you're talking about, you know, in 1997, how it was so different and even in the early 2000s, because I grew up in a time where we didn't have a computer at home. I didn't get that in my house until my senior year of high school. Didn't even get my first email until I went to college, right? And how different that is. And for a long time, I think we could even think about this as, as relevant to how you're promoting your book. And, you know, we could, there wasn't a lot of change. There was, you know, you you used Microsoft, there were desktops, there were some laptops, but when that smartphone came out, it really transitioned the way in which we interact with each other in a technological perspective. And having to shift that mind, and, and you are innovative knowing that you want to be on the forefront and using podcasting and radio shows and social media to promote what you're doing, because we, we use it so often now, so it's so much a part of our everyday lives. Correct, correct. And you pointed out clearly that Excel was back then still popular and it still is. And there's tools like that, PowerPoint and Word and all that, that we use every day. It's become almost like the new paper and pencil. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, you know, and you think yeah. about that paper and pencil for a long time wasn't even, you know, I mean, we've had it for but centuries, of, you know, we've had, but when it first came out, it was a huge technological revolution to have a pencil that was led, you know, that you could write. And I agree. I have, um, at a, the, the pivot for me, and I'll say this, and I don't know how you feel about this, but the thing that really changed my perspective and made me open up my mindset to that I could be an entrepreneur was the launch of cloud computing. Hmm. The ability to be able to have access to open source materials that before you really, you know, with Word or PowerPoint, you, know, you had to download it, you had to purchase the software, and then when Google launched their whole cloud perspective and, and, and then Microsoft following, I'm not showing mm -hmm. my allegiance to either one, but that that was the pivotal moment for me yeah. in realizing that I could go beyond what I ever imagined I was going to be able to do because I had resources at my fingertips 
to, to find, uh, you know, to, to be able to do and not just have to be tied to a desktop in, a, in an office. Yeah. And I think that more and more we're finding uh, platforms that make it available for small entrepreneurs, the power of cloud computing, both uh, from uh, even the, the, the high concept of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and all that. Mm-hmm. They're bringing those tools to the fingertips of entrepreneurs at an affordable price. And if you can leverage that and create something that puts what you do in that type of platform, you will tend to do very well because that's where people will gravitate. Right. I mean, we, well, and you think about because our phones are at our fingertips. So Mm -hmm. when we say cloud computing, what we mean is that there, like if you go to Google and you use something like Google Docs or Google Sheets, or even if you're on Microsoft and you use Office 365, any of those, that gets saved to a cloud storage um, entity that you can access from any device. And I, I just, I think that's changed the way we approach business. And I, yeah. my gut tells me that's a lot of what you talk to your clients about in terms of thinking about strategy, thinking bigger, thinking beyond their four walls and what that looks like. And I want to talk quite a bit about that in our next segment because you, I was really, um, immediately when I received, when I found out, uh, received information about you, I was really intrigued by your thought process around how we're going to transition as we begin to figure our way out of the pandemic of COVID, how that's going to change, we're going to, how business is going to change. I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way, in a positive way. Yeah. And talk a little bit more about your book and what led you to write that and where you see that going. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Juan a little bit about what I mentioned about the, the transition of business and what he is advising his clients on for as much as he can, because I would like for you to be able to reach out and book a call with him for sure. And in the meantime, um, I want to express that uh, I am so grateful to have you here on the show. If you'd like to learn more about the work that I do, where I work to integrate computer science and um, enhance technology in corporate and in education entities. You can find more information about my work at the .consulting.co and check out what we do. We work to bring tech, uh, a new level of tech savvy to our organizations and to education entities and show them that tech can be a quite a fun way to enhance what you're doing and make your life a little bit easier. So we'll be right back with Juan Riboli and stay with us and thanks so much. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the.consulting.co. 
the world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Coding the Future. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, and we're back with Juan Riboldi, who is the principal and founder of uh, Ascent Advisor. And he's been talking to us. We've been getting to know Juan a little bit about his journey and how he came to the U.S. from Argentina and about understanding how he has stepped into this role and become the expert that he is in business change and understanding how to work with Fortune 50 companies to grow their business. So Juan, can you tell us a little bit about the book that you've written and how that has come to be? And I know that it's a wonderful culmination of of lots of your years of experience and expertise. Tell us a little bit more about that and about how you go about working with your clients. So for the last 10 years, I've been working with uh, both Fortune 50 corporations going through massive transformations. In some cases, uh, even government transformations. I've been very much involved in the transformation that is happening in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So for part of my life, I've been commuting to Saudi Arabia on a monthly basis. Oh my God. Involved in some some big changes there in society that have uh, led to, to very noticeable social change. And as well as a lot of Inc. 5000 uh, companies, some of the fastest growing companies and some startups that they are looking for practical ways that they can innovate and accelerate growth. And in, in that segment is almost the most exciting segment because you see new businesses being created, new jobs, uh, huge economic growth. So after 10 solid years of doing this, I thought I need to put all these um, lessons learned and, and examples in, in a book so other people can read them and can, can have access to that. Several clients have requested it. So about a year ago, I started writing it on top of everything else. And the book is now online, available in Amazon, and it's ready for being in print uh, in a couple of weeks. In fact, I have the first few copies of the book with me. Oh my gosh, that must be, it's like so rewarding when you get the, the yeah. copy in hand. I mean, yeah. I know virtual is a big part of it, but there's something great about having a, a hard copy book. <laughs> yeah, I feel, it's almost like uh, giving birth. So you feel <laughs> yeah. like the child is born. <laughs> yeah. So what can readers expect? So you mentioned a little bit, like what are some of the key takeaways that those of us that would love to glean from your expertise can take away from the book? So the core message is extremely simple. 
we live in times of accelerating change. And the rate of change is not even constant, is exponential. But not all the change is necessarily for the better. We see a lot of things that are changing in alarming and concerning ways. So the question for me is not just how to change for change's sake, but how to create a strategic transformation, which is an intentional change for the better. And I studied the organizations, uh, teams, and individuals that were able to successfully change for the better, even sometimes in very difficult and challenging circumstances, compared to those that got caught in the middle of everything that is going on in the world and actually lost their businesses or, or failed or their companies are floundering or lost the, the position of leadership and, and really compare what made the difference between these groups and distill what are the key things that help them make success, help them be successful. So the book outlines a process and a methodology for doing that. But at the heart of that is a very simple concept if you can see change and what is happening around you as an opportunity, you actually figure out how to change for the better. If you see it as a threat, you start acting defensively in ways that would make you more irrelevant over time. Wow, so I just wrote that down. If you see change as an opportunity, then you can find the success. If you see it as a threat, then that's you are, an ultimate downturn. Yeah, in yeah. You're essentially, you're in a downward spiral. And, and it's so interesting because nowadays, we, you know, you just turn on the news, you see what's going on in the world, and many people feel like, okay, I'm under threat. You know, things are not going to work well for me. And so if you, if you live in that, uh, what I call a red frame of mind, your decisions, your thinking, your actions – are going to lead into a way that you may not be able to benefit from what's going on. On the other hand, if you see the exact same picture and you discipline yourself because it's not going to come naturally to put a green frame around it and then said, okay, I still have the opportunity to do this. I think that things are going to go in this direction. Uh, I still am able to make some choices and you realign your, your thinking, the, the resources you have, you redeploy your skill sets in a way that positions you to capture the opportunity. You actually have everything you need to succeed even in these challenging times. I like the simplicity, the red frame and the green frame. I can very much visualize that in my in my head right now and putting it, uh, you know, like in a box sort of around Mm -hmm. what is that thought or challenge or opportunity that is being put in front of me right now, whatever that may be. And many businesses are, every business usually has a different challenge, you know, and how do I work on my mindset? Do you have any tips that you can provide that helps people transition from seeing the red to the green? Yeah, so in, I think it's chapter one and two, we talk about how to shift. And essentially, the first thing is to recognize what being in the red frame of mind sounds like, the kind of uh, self-talk that we do, the kind of decisions that we, uh, we make. 
And all of us, for very valid reasons, may, for a period of time, live in the red frame of mind. We, we get afraid, we get concerned, uh, we, we try to protect ourselves. But recognizing that we are a little bit stuck in that frame of mind is the first step. And then you have some exercises to help you rewrite your thoughts, rescript your, your, your worldview, not because you are optimistic simply, is because you are strategic about it. You have to say the, the risks are real and, and possibly very high, but there are still opportunities. If I can structurally change what I see as a threat into an opportunity, I am discovering a way to succeed in my life, in my business, in whatever I'm doing. And at that point, you have a path forward. And the path is not going to be a, an easy, you know, five-step formula to success. Sometimes it's a very, you know, messy path that leads to it. But the way of thinking will help you find solutions along the way and continuously adapt to the uh, evolving change. This is really, the advice is great. And, and because I think even uh, myself has struggled with the unknown, I have often thought that I usually see a green frame in, in many times when I'm thinking about ways in which to innovate and create, especially when finding connections for curriculum, for kids, for teachers, et cetera, for, for workers. But I will admit that, you know, these past few months have been really tough and a red frame has come very often in front of me and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I, I'm okay with change if I kind of know sort of the predictability of it. And because the pandemic has been such an interesting time, it's not predictable. We don't, we have, we don't have any control over it. And so this is a great time to be working on these exercises because that red frame has popped up quite a bit, Juan, over the yep. past couple of, uh, in particular, the past couple of months, especially since I've started being at home with my children and helping them walk through their this educational journey of learning from home and not being in the school and then managing business and holy moly, like, what am I doing? Some days yes. I wake up and I'm like, what is the day? What is today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to uh, highlight an example of, uh, of pivoting around that in a business setting, but I mean, at a personal setting is so telling. Nobody at the beginning of this year would have predicted what had happened this year, I think. Right. Uh, took us all by surprise, and it's very easy to all of a sudden feel a victim of the situation. Mm -hmm. And once we start feeling that way and feeling, well, I cannot do this, I cannot do that, they tell me now that I have to do this, and, and if we get stuck in that uh, red frame of mind, we may actually lose all our ability to, to make decisions. So here is an interesting example. I was working at that time with a division of a large corporation that was responsible for providing all their uh, events. So this was like an events um, organization. Mm -hmm. Just to give you a sense of scope, they probably do something in the scale of about $12 million a year of events. Wow. Events that the company hosts to their client customers as well as events that they send their employees to other industry events to speak or to learn, stuff like that, as well as they had a presence in the online events. You know, some, some, it was probably like 
10 to 20% of webinars and things like that. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the pandemic hits. Everyone is sent home. Uh, all the events get very quickly within a matter of weeks or months canceled. And this team of several people, I mean, this was almost a division, uh, let's say 20, 30 people, all of a sudden they don't have events to provide. And, and they don't, you know, the things that they knew how to do, like book hotels and cater meals and, you know, schmooze with speakers and find these awesome locations, it's irrelevant right now. Right. So the question is, well, shall we follow the pattern and suspend everything too because everyone is canceling everything, so will we. And all of a sudden you realize, yeah, if we cancel our $12 million budget of events, maybe we will not have a job and maybe we will not have events going forward. Right. So this group decided to reimagine themselves and reinvent what they did and reposition $12 million worth of events in an online space where it's almost undifferentiated because everyone is doing Zoom, you know, and right. every meeting yeah. is on screen. And it's no longer a you know, three-day event at Pebble Beach that is now, you know, click on this link and watch the event. And interestingly enough, many people that didn't have the online digital skill set very quickly had to team up with people who had that skill set. They have to find new resources, talk with these speakers in ways that they had not anticipated and start offering events with celebrities and thought leaders and, and subject matter experts from their home to the homes of thousands of people. And in a matter of months, this group was able to reposition this entire calendar of events in an online format that was differentiated, that is not just the same old and is creative and is engaging. And so do the speakers realize that they no longer had the same um, form or platform that they used to have. So they have to recreate their speeches too because they had to be engaging in this online format. So yeah, it was fascinating totally. to see how in a matter of literally few months, this entire team moved from being on a red frame of mind to in a green frame and now leading the way in what it's the, the new world. And they call it a hybrid of digital first, but in-person follow-up type of events. And, and you know, it's an interesting example on how creative people can be and resourceful when, when you, know, you, you figure out you, you can do something about it. Well, I mean, there's always a saying that when you've, you are hit with adversity or you hit something that fails, that that's when you become the most innovative and creative, right? I mean, just like you mentioned, I mean, and even I said in the very beginning of all of this, I, I was like, okay, how are we going to make this work? How do we position ourselves to be online? How do we, I mean, which a lot of my work already was, you know, a hybrid of digital and in-person, but I also run a nonprofit and our nonprofit, we did workshops in person. So we had to think very quickly, all right, well, we got to move this online and we've got to make it interactive for our kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, that creativity came, you know, almost instantaneously of figuring out how to make that position. And then there's been some downturn where the red has come back and then, having this conversation, my green is going to come back one. Yeah. But I like what they said in terms of what you said about the way they identified as hybrid digital first, right? So this digital first concept, and then when we're ready, we'll go back into being able to be in person. I, I like that. That's a really great way to frame it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
really. Yeah, like, they're not giving up on the live events. In fact, they're being creative about how those will come back and could still be done even today right. in small groups and in other formats. Sure. But they realize it's a digital first world, at least for the foreseeable future, and they need to be excellent at it. And that required reskilling, retooling, all of a sudden learning new platforms. I think they have to integrate something like 10 to 12 different uh, technology platforms to deploy creative events that, that is more than just your, your you know, Zoom link. Absolutely. And that open mindset to think through how they were going to do that is really mm-hmm. important. And, and pulling on their skill set. I mean, they know how to organize an event so they can yeah. take that same process of problem solving of figuring yeah. out hotel rooms and food and where to have it and how, all those things and just reapply it to problem solving, learning how to use a technological platform to execute an event. So That's it's right. just switching your mindset just a little bit. I want to ask you a few questions about this concept around retail and about office buildings and malls and, and how this turn of events that's happened in 2020 is going to shift the way in which we interact with retail, with office space. I'm not saying that it's going to go away because I, I, I do believe that we crave that interaction as humans. We want to go to the mall. We want to work with other people and be interactive. Yeah. I don't think they're going to ple- completely going to go away. But what are your thoughts on how we are going to shift? So it's very interesting. I've been very much involved in the retail space area as well. And I noticed that the retail space was hit with the um, online shopping before COVID. Right, right. Because many malls that were destination shopping areas were starting to struggle because more and more customers were shopping online way before COVID started. And many of these big box um, Retail outlets were uh, folding or leaving and the malls were starting to become empty. So the first wave was that the mall owners have to be creative about the type of experience that they would provide uh, people coming in. A reason to come to the mall, basically. Mm -hmm. They had all these massive square foot space. And what happens is a big retailer left. You know, how do we fill that gap? So there were a number of experience-related businesses that were offered to come and sometimes with very low uh, rental fees compared to what it used to be, like it was prime, prime real estate because that's where the traffic was. And essentially what they wanted to do is to create traffic. They felt if we can create traffic, even at no cost or low cost, then the traffic itself would generate sales and we can get a commission of sales that are generated through that traffic. So uh, I have many friends that had startup businesses, even on random things like 3D printing. Or, yeah, I love 3D printing, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So they would just offer uh, 3D printing classes and access to 3D printers and you can walk away with your 3D gadget that you can print it just while going to the mall. And they really could use awesome space for almost no money. And, you know, it was almost commission uh, sales. So that was the first wave. And then COVID hit. And then COVID made it even now a restriction to be in these places. Right. So many malls are now trying to completely reinvent themselves. And I think that there are new models coming up on how we're going to interact in malls and create almost like a space that 
is still a destination place that you can uh, maybe eat and socialize and work and maybe even live. I mean, some of them may be repurposed into churches and gyms and, and um, I don't know, there's a number of different uh, models out there that are, that are coming up of uh, even sports facilities, um, <clears throat> high schools. I mean, like you can see that this real estate space is now rethought in terms of what are still venues that are viable in the future mm -hmm. and how can we repurpose this massive space into those venues and and it's uh, kind of odd to think of a mall as a as a gym or as a church or as a museum but you will see uh, those type of models evolving out of this um, pandemic i think it's genius yeah I mean, you think about even the process of a school, like think about in a school sense, I mean, the cost that it, it would to build a new school or repurpose one that's already there, a mall is already segmented into different stores like classrooms or whatnot. I mean, or even a sports facility where, I mean, gosh, some of those department stores are, you know, just enormous. You have yes. great opportunity and, a, and the museum piece, man, you could have like a school with the museum attached. Holy moly. <laughs> all kinds of great yeah. things that could happen. Yeah, and you can see, you can easily see that if you add a, a few of these right components together, you create an ecosystem of, let's say, for a learning center. So kids go to school. Look, maybe my, green, my, my green frame is coming out, Juan. <laughs> it's coming out. There's my creativity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, that's, but that at the core, and I think that's part of what you said, too, is that, you know, when you're thinking about moving forward and strategic planning and finding the intention around change, we are, we are always better together and our minds do better. And when you combine business, education, community together, and you think about a space like a mall, I mean, think about all the learning and the opportunity for the kids, for the business people, for the community to come together and create this amazing experience. Because you've mentioned that a couple of times, too, about mm -hmm. the importance that in retail, and, I, and I'm going to say this across the board, retail, business, um, education, any of those pieces, that experience is really at the crux of what people want. They come yes. for something, right? And they don't want yes. to mm -hmm. sit and get, they want to do something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, a big uh, factor for reviving the malls is to recreating the experience. Before, probably the experience was all about shopping and maybe some food associated with that. I think that the new experience is going to have to have some other purposes that are more traffic related to the new environment. But at the same time, you will probably end up mixing a little bit of shopping, a little bit of food, a little yep. bit of socializing. So all of that would create a new experiential space because we as people still crave that uh, desire for associating with one another. Yes. And, and we need that space. That's part of, a, of, I mean, of being human. I mean, I think that's yeah. one piece that's been the heart of why I think, even from my own perspective, the red frame has come over what I've thought because sometimes I get so over virtual communication and I just want to go and see somebody other yes. than I, I do love my family. And, you know, but like actually have a conversation with somebody else or, or, or see my girlfriends and get that, you know, that, that laughter, that gut Yes. that you need every now and again, you know, I, and that's why I, I agree with you. I think that that 
this is going to be a really cool next, I mean, if I can find a silver lining, because I know that, that this has been a tragedy in, in so many ways, so many ways, but if there is a positive that could come out of it, it, it really could be the way we rethink how we're going to interact with one another using technology, having that hybrid model, using yeah. technology and leveraging that communal space. I think that's going to be a really cool opportunity. So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you because this has been amazing. I could talk to you for a whole nother hour. Um, but how do individuals find out, get your book, one, and then how would yes. they uh, connect with you if they'd like to learn more or, or book some time with you? So definitely the book, Strategic Transformation, How to Deliver What Matters Most, is available at Amazon. And you can get a copy of the book. My website, ascent-advisor.com. Uh, you can reach me by text, email, even phone call, more difficult. <laughs> and um, and I'm very open to talk with anybody. I talk with uh, entrepreneurs, um, Inc. 5000 businesses, as well as corporate executives and leaders in, in government as well. So I'm very active in, in this uh, field and always interested in helping people at all levels. I, I even help a lot of people just as a pro bono thing too in the community and stuff. So it's not... It's not something that I like to do just as a career. It's like a, a purpose in life for me. So. Um, I think that's amazing. And I think sharing your skill set and giving that back to, to others in the community, it will, will pay it forward in um, leaps and bounds. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. I have learned so much. Two pieces that I'm going to, or three things I'm going to say is that one thing he mentioned was there is accelerating change that's happening and it's going to continue to happen over the next few years. So we need to keep that, I mean, just that word accelerating change puts a perspective around it. The second thing that Juan mentioned was that you want to have intention for change, the, the intention for change in terms of how we react to it and how our businesses react to it. The intention is for the better. So we know that, I think we've always said that the only thing consistent is change, <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, and so thinking about how we can use ex this accelerating change for the better. And then the third piece is to think about change as an opportunity and putting a green frame around something that's presented to you that could be a challenge instead of having a red lens. And how do you find your way out of that red lens to find it as opportunity? And I know that there's much more advice in his book. So my action item for you today is to go and find the book and go to his website, which is ascent-advisors.com and learn more about what Juan is doing to help businesses, help the community, and how you can find your own green frame. Thank you, Juan. I appreciate your time. And again, if anyone would like to find out more about the work that I do and working with others around technology, you can go to the dotconsulting.co and send me a message on the Voice America Network if you've got questions or you'd like to be a guest on the show. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Thanks so much, everybody. I appreciate your time and we'll see you next time on Coding the Future. <music> 
Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then. 